Have you been dreaming of a magical wedding? Step into the grand ballroom at the George Washington Wyndham Grand Hotel, where glamour and glitz unite to create your perfect wedding day. At the George Washington Hotel, every detail is meticulously curated for you and your guests. Choose to have your ceremony and reception with us, or join us for a celebration after you say I do. All complimented by hotel accommodations that make the entire experience seamless for you and your guests. Start dreaming and planning your wedding at WyndhamGeorgeWashington.com. At Henson, we're looking forward to the holidays, and that means more time in the kitchen. Now, imagine your trusty kitchen knife had a wobbly handle. You'd be nervous. Well, the same is true in shaving. Most razors on the market today don't support the blades well enough, allowing them to flex and bend. This is a source of razor burn. At Henson, we used our 20 years of aerospace manufacturing to solve this problem, supporting the blade so you can use it confidently. To learn more and to get 100 blades for free, go to hensonshaving.com holiday. It's us again, Luke from thecustardtv.com, Matt, who also presides there occasionally. Hello. Hello, yes, I wrote something for the first time. In I know, the so, wonders of a lockdown. <laughs> and it got one of the best receptions of any of your articles, so I mean, I'm a, I'm a hot commodity. You did say that the podcast is acting as a bit of a postcard and a catch-up with friends, which I thought was nice. Yeah, some of my friends who listen to the podcast... Yeah. I- Heard that I'd had that injury while running. I'm sure that I told them about it, but obviously not. And they said, I hope you're okay. And I was like, yeah, I'm fine now. Everything's healed up nicely. Did, did uh, the podcast go out and you just got a load of phone calls just saying, oh, man, well, we never realised. Well, I thought realized. I told everyone, you see, but obviously not. <laughs> Have all your cuts and bruises healed? Yeah, um, without trying to be too descriptive or... No, do. This is what we look for now. <laughs> My... Scab on my elbow fell off this week, so that's good. Oh, that's good. too descriptive, man. <laughs> the bruises are starting to go- come down now, so... So, yeah, I mean, it's been yeah. two weeks tomorrow, so... And I-, I went for a long walk yesterday, didn't fall this over, so that's we're gonna we're going to remember the lockdown. We're not doing three weeks since Boris's announcement. We're doing two weeks since you fell over. That's how we'll <laughs> do it from now. That's why we'll judge it. How many weeks has it been since that fell over? A bit jealous of you, though, and most of my colleagues who've got gardens. I, I'm living in a bottom floor flat. I'm on a main road, and there's a little thing where I could sort of sit out, but I'd just be sort of sitting out on the main road. <laughs> and everyone would be like, why is he sitting out there on a little yeah. deck chair? I am looking to move to a, a house, so that'd be good, just on the other oh. side of Stafford. Not at the moment, you're not. Well, nobody's going anywhere, are they? They, they pre-lockdown... I was. I don't remember what that was. I Sorry. asked about viewing, and and it took a while for the property company to get back to me. And I got a call from them on Friday. They're currently doing these virtual walkthroughs, so they've sent me a video of the property. You know, you were saying just before we came on, we should do a watch along. If you share <laughs> that virtual video of the property you might be living in well, online, I've shared, I've shared it with several. It. Fr- I've shared it with a friend, and I've shared it with my mum. So okay. I'll share it with you if you want, and yeah, you can give me some feedback. Yeah. It's only about I think five minutes long, and the the backing music they use is horrendous. So I don't really want it. That's weird that they would need a backing music because mm. if you went round to see it in person, they wouldn't bring a band with them, but would they? You'd be having yeah. a conversation, wouldn't you? Whereas this would just be the sound of someone walking and breathing that's why why i was thinking they'd use some backing music now here's a question were you able to ascertain where the kitchen was without the estate agent saying this is the kitchen i was uh, well done i, I couldn't that's, that's work the only out thing they do 
what was inbuilt in the kitchen. Oh, so, so yeah. What's staying and what's going. Good mm. point. Yeah. And there's certain things like the the measurements and what bed I could fit in the one of the bedrooms. Mm. I'll send it to you anyway. I'm sure yeah. the listeners are. Yeah, great opening. <laughs> My favourite opening we've ever done. Luke and Matt. This could be a podcast. A podcast? Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. Talking telly. Use your ears and trust them. This is the Custard TV Podcast. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com But well, you the... have a garden at the virtual place. There's a yard, so there's an outside space. I, I'd struggle with a garden because I would have to do things to it. Whereas this yeah. yard, you don't have to do anything. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yard, I love how you've gone from somewhere you can barely sit out into a yard. Well, that's like what it that. is, it's a yard. It's an outside yeah. space without grass. What would you describe it as? It's probably a yard. This is what this lockdown has allowed me to do. Open the podcast up a little wider to uh, do your Is there any Is life. there any telly news? There's not any telly news other than a brilliant article that I've shared on Twitter um, from The Times. Uh, ben Dowell, who used to work, I believe, at the Radio Times, has been talking to people like the head of Channel 4, Ian Katz, the head of the BBC, about how their schedules are coping because there's just so many holes in it. Channel 4 have had to let a lot of staff go. They've had to cancel a lot of the programmes they were planning. They've had to rush out things um, about the coronavirus. The BBC are worried that if it goes on much longer, they're going to run out of EastEnders. The loss of um, Wimbledon and the Olympics have left a big hole. Peaky Blinders called the midwife. Charlotte Moore is concerned there's going to be nothing new at Christmas. To which cynics inside us might go, is there anything? Is there really anything new at Christmas anyway? But I know, I know what she means. There's not a lot coming up. They, the BBC know that his dark materials is safe. They know the A word is is on soon. Um, six part drama from Mike Bartlett. Life. They're moving forward from the autumn to now. Roadkill. The Hugh Laurie dramas moving forward in the schedules. Michaela Cole's new drama, January 22nd, is moving forward. But ITV are actually moving things back. Honor was supposed to be on the Keely Hall's drama. They think that's too bleak. They're going to leave that for a long time. Channel 4 are still editing Russell T. Davis's Boys. They hope that will be uh, coming soon. But things like Ackley Bridge and 24 Hours in A&E and all the cornerstones of scheduling have all stopped production and they've no idea when when they're coming back succession was just just starting filming when the lockdown in the in america started so that was scheduled for november of this year's now march of next year so the whole tv landscape has changed and so many people who work freelance have lost their jobs and production companies having to close down and even they're saying if the social distancing rules stay in place, then it will mean drama as we know it just won't be able to work because the actors won't be able to be near one another or touching one another. So mm. it's going to have huge long-lasting effects. That is the only TV news that mm. people are talking about, the fact that uh, yeah. it's just all grind to a halt. I suppose this is what we were talking about a few weeks ago, weren't we, in that special podcast we did, and, and it seems now that... The- sort of some of the predictions we had are, are correct 
you know, the BBC are repeating a lot of things out of necessity, really, and Channel 4 seems to be in the worst position, letting so many people go. I think they've lost 150 hours of programming down to this. And I was asking why they couldn't repeat some of their bigger shows, you know, like a Utopia, like a Teachers, like a in between as anything really and apparently it's just the advertisers who are already cutting back are less inclined to advertise during a repeat but mm. but i suppose in a way the bbc being license paid funded being funded by us can ride out the storm whereas mm. on tv and channel 4 and channel 5 to a lesser extent they, they can't do it because no, they're beholden to advertise aren't they as we record, it's Saturday, so Britain's Got Talent is back tonight. That's usually a big one for advertisers. I saw Alicia Dixon being interviewed across the week saying, we've done all the auditions, we've done the deliberation aspect, we've just no idea when the live shows will be, whether yeah. they're going to be this year. And surely that will lose some of its momentum. Mm. If you're watching well, it in April... Or, it's or the same with The Voice, because all that bar, the final two episodes are live and it just happened that the it coincided with the lockdown rules the week that they were going to go live was the first week where they couldn't and i just don't see that these shows will will be able to maintain the momentum you know because you, you won't remember them with who the, was on it with the voice britain's got talent as well they'll be doing their live shows and presumably taping the next series at the same time if it is the end of this year because they both tape the britain's got talent auditions are they sort of january time they're, are they? they're, they're january because i know mm. and Dirk come back from australia in november then have christmas off and then do that in january Where, that whereas i think the voice tapes towards the end of the year because jennifer hudson was off the panel this year because she was promoting cats great decision yeah well done jennifer <laughs> Just in for your entertainment. Get the latest TV news direct from thecustardtv.com. My God, you are pure television. Guaranteed. We have got a couple of reviews. Uh, Killing Eve is back. For the the third series, we already know a fourth series is coming as well. Do we? BBC Amer- yes, we do. BBC America announced that when series three was filming, that series four is coming. Uh, Run is a new HBO comedy that is landing here on Sky Comedy. Uh, Quiz is the new ITV bank holiday drama. This is the retelling of a major Charles Ingram's coughing incident on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire in the early 2000s. Great timing. Yeah, great timing for a cough-based drama. Uh, Let's start with that. It's going to be airing over three nights across Easter, Easter Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday as well at 9pm. This stars Michael Sheen as Chris Tarrant and two people who are in two of the biggest shows in recent memory. Sean Clifford of Fleabag and Matthew McFadden of Succession team up as married couple Charles and Diana Ingram who, together with a friend, cough their way into uh, winning a million pounds on ITV's flagship game show of the late 90s and noughties. What did you make of it? I quite liked it, actually. I knew you would. I liked the way it was structured, because this is based on a play. I've watched one and two so far. 
James Graham is the writer of this. Yeah. And it didn't feel to me like it was particularly stagey. Not they... even when they were singing Gilbert and Sullivan in the army Not recruitment. Not really. Because normally if, if it's a stage adaptation, I feel a lot of it takes place within rooms. And this was very well edited together. And I think the structure of the story is well done in the three episode format. So this first episode was about not only the Ingrams and introducing their dynamic, it was also about the creation of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, Celador convincing ITV to run the show. Were you in the country when Millionaire yes. started? Yes, I was. Because, yes. because I think they perfectly captured that hysteria that was around the show. Mm. And it I, was revolutionary at the time. Mm. Well, it was really something special at the time it was on. The focus on this wasn't so much on Charles Ingram. He was almost like a background player. It was more Diana and also her brother, who was the first person from the family who was really obsessed by the show. Waste, you know, got into debt over calling the premium rate phone line that many times. And I think it really showed that obsession that quizzes have and that weirdness that surrounds that the, the quizzing world. So it had all those elements working for it. The second episode is based primarily around the whole scandal. So Ingram features in it a lot more. And then the third episode will be the trial. Is the trial, yeah. Um, and Helen McCrory as their defence barrister. I, I really liked it. There's a lightness to it, which I yeah, enjoyed. It's more tongue-in-cheek mm. than perhaps I was prepared for. Mm. It felt very heightened. It felt like it was winking at the camera, which is mm. something I'm not a oh. massive fan of. I, I, I'd agree with that maybe in the scenes with the ITV execs. I and really... The... I, I, I like, like, like you, my inner TV nerd, enjoyed the sequence where mm. Mark Bonner's team were quizzing... The ITV team, but all the stuff at ITV, I thought they they portrayed them as buffoons. Really, I but thought we've they... been around those sort of TV executives, and they do act like that. Like the <laughs> Ashling B character was very well drawn. I thought. How long was Neil Armstrong actually on the moon? When did Europe start speaking English? Did Marco Polo really go to China? Curiosity Stream is the streaming service for all things history, plus science, wildlife, and more. What's the real story behind the Mona Lisa? We've got that. What caused the collapse of Rome? We know. Where did we find mankind's earliest ancestor? Come find out. For the holidays, give the gift of curiosity with 25% off gift cards for your curious cohorts. It's holiday shopping season at curiositystream.com gift. If you think about some of the TV people we've been around... Been in the presence of... That almost, as you say, that sort of winking is those characters in a way I think that plays into that level of authenticity and I liked as it went on that the ITV logo that was in the building changed and, and things like that I get what you're saying but I think the the grounding nature of it is the bits mm. with the Ingrams yeah. and I think when you get to episode two if you do watch episode two no, and, it, and it's a lot more focused around Charles and Diana I think Sean Clifford was amazing and 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 I don't know if you ever saw this but the celebrity wife swap episode I, that, I was going to reference that because <laughs> I, I I was in the country when Millionaire started but I was not in the country when this happened so my first um, 
meeting of the Ingrams was when somebody sent me the tape of Jade Goody wife swapping with Charles and Diana Ingram. Was Diana with with Jeff? Jeff Frazier, yeah. They clash more, I think, than Charles and Jade did because I suppose they were the lesser halves of of those couples. Big personalities. But Sean Clifford really looks like Diana and has that reserved nature about her. I struggled a little bit with Matthew McFadden as Charles Ingram. I just couldn't stop seeing Tom in in the, yeah. in the sort of yeah. from it, session. He sort of plays it in the same way, mm. doesn't he? Sort of larger than life. Mm. And in- Ingram is is more built, sort of rugby. That's mm. that's how I imagine him. I, I I mean, you can't always do those impressions unless you're Michael Sheen playing Chris Tarrant. Uh, what did you think? What did you think of that? Because that really. I was prepared for that. It's not like I didn't know Michael mm. Sheen was playing Chris Tarrant, but I just I couldn't I, I take mean, it. I I I, I, well, I I thought he wasn't in enough to be offensive. He's a supporting player in the story, really, isn't he? Mm. I really liked it. I think M- McFadden for me captured the the British buffoonery of the yeah. character, but I, I I struggled to separate him from his succession character. But yeah. Sean Clifford was great. Mark Bonner, I really liked as the as the head of Celador. There's just, it's not a drama that's gonna light your world on fire. But no. I I felt it was good escapist entertainment. There's stuff as well I didn't remember. So for example, after it's go it goes live, they tape Ingram's episode of Millionaire, and the debate is should we put it out as this is ongoing investigation, and then 9/11 happens, and I had no memory of that coinciding with that i remember itv put the episode on they years aired later. it as a special one didn't they yeah, like years later the coughing episode the trial and everything like that i remember ingram becoming sort of a minor celebrity minor after celeb. and it was the early days of the celebrity versions of shows so he was like on the games i don't know if you remember that the channel four Vaguely. olympic program and then he was on Celebrity Wife Swap. He was one of those early figures who did all those shows, like a uh, Rebecca Lose, for example, as well. Are you going to be watching the other yes, episode? Yes, I, I am going to be, mm. because even if it's not a perfect, satisfying drama, it is an interesting look behind the scenes of mm. something we wouldn't like. If this were a documentary, I'd certainly be watching it. Mm. So the fact that it's a drama, I'll definitely be watching it as well. Yeah. It's just that I didn't expect it to be so. Well, at least the first episode is quite bouncy and happy, and I wasn't mm. expecting that, really. Mm. But it's a good thing to put on at yeah, this time is. as well. Yeah. Quiz, Monday, Tuesday, mm. Wednesday on ITV. Whatever we think of it, and you have higher opinions, it's going to do massively well for ITV, I think. It's going to be a big drama for them because it's a subject in recent enough history that people know it so they haven't mm. really explained but not well, recent enough that they know all the ins and outs so they're going to learn something from it i was thinking that but 98 it starts and explaining to someone who's in their early 20s that hysteria around it i think they struggle today to think that a quiz show was that big and that exciting and got what like 19 million viewers at yeah, its peak let's not talk about peaks <laughs> We don't know if we've reached it yet. Let's not talk about it. You used a phrase uh, about uh, this quiz drama that it's it's light and fluffy and good escapist 
for this period of our time, and I wondered whether you felt the same way about uh, HBO's run, which is going to be on Sky Comedy on Tuesday. This is a seven-part comedy drama, half an hour apiece, uh, created by Fleabag co-creator Vicky Jones, stars Merritt Weaver and Don- Donald Gleeson as two friends from college. It starts with Merritt Weaver's character Ruby getting a text on her phone that just simply says run. She drops everything in her life to get on a train in New York to meet up with Donald Gleeson's Billy, who we find out is a successful author. Self-help life life coach, isn't he? I think he does. Yeah, life that. coach. But we don't know a lot about them. We don't know who they are. We don't know what their lives were like before this text. Crucially, though, she texts back, doesn't she? Yes. That's the... Vocal of how much I enjoyed this on Twitter. It's one of the things that, when it was announced last year, I was really keen on. Basically because Merritt Weaver, I think I could watch her read the Mm. phone book. She's just got such a warmth to her that whatever she does, even if she was a serial killer, I'd be completely 100% in with her and on the journey. I've seen the first episode, we got five to watch uh, of the seven completely. This, I have no idea where it's going to go. I have no idea what the story is going forward. I know that Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Archie Punjabi play big roles in it as it progresses, but this first one is, is them on a train working out whether they've done the right thing of meeting up again. They were college sweethearts or best friends years previously neither one knows much about how the other's doing or why they texted the word run but it's been a long-going um agreement that they've had that if one of them does it they drop everything and come to their aid well, well no 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 it's if one of them does it and the other one texts back okay so the implication is they're both unhappy with their lives and needing to escape for various reasons and considering it's quite a static episode when they're on the train it moves at a heck of a pace i like the fact that i don't entirely know where we're going or who these people are and although it's not laugh out loud funny i did smile at bits and i do think they have incredible chemistry donald gleason and merritt weaver i'm really on board for this because sometimes you're like i don't feel like i knew the characters and i don't feel like they established where it was going but you liked it this time i liked it in this because of the mystery because of the air of mystery and okay. because and because they have really so believable chemistry. You've I really... got enough from those characters, though, because that's your big thing. Yes, I, I did. didn't buy into the characters. So what did you like about those characters in that first episode? I just liked the fact that they were warm. I just believed them as a pair, okay. natural as a pair. Yeah, I'm I, guessing you didn't. I don't know. I, I didn't dislike this, but I, I maybe because you were... that I was expecting maybe a little bit more and I think it took a while to get to the point that these two women because initially it was just Mary Weaver who who I'm in agreement with you I absolutely love by the time Mm. they're together you you get the the sense that this is them absconding but obviously there's the baggage that both have have got he's a successful author dispensing dispensing advice to others but someone who himself hasn't got that life that he that others get from his teachings you're right you don't know a lot about her until the end when you find out that she has got a husband and two children that he finds as the wallpaper on her phone 
it was just very conversational, and mm. I like that in the drama. I like two people having chats. Mm. Mm, yeah, it, I always, I've always liked that. It harks back to my affection for the royal family. Nothing happens in it. It's mm. just people having chats that you would have had, and I just like I'm that. D- yeah, I'm definitely going to continue. As you say, there was enough intrigue, but the scene where he thinks she's not getting back on the train. I really enjoyed that. And breaks the handle of of the toilet door was enough for me to bring me back to that second episode. It's it's a unique premise and mm. one that certainly has got legs to it and and I'll be interested to see what happens once they're off the train and 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 as I say Archie Punjabi is going to play a key role later on. It's not got a big cast, but she is like the big guest star. I think Phoebe Waller-Bridge might pop up for a scene some at some point but yeah i i just think those two i i cared about and i i like the conversational nature i thought it was it was funny without being you know too funny and i i was actually quite desperate that she got back on the train and mm. and and when she did it was like a relief and I, I thought everything played out at a good pace and the half hour went by quickly and it's further proof the half hours can be yeah, just I as agree with that, actually the half hour did did fly by I wholeheartedly recommend <laughs> Matt's on the fence, but there's no, like he says, hopefully people will feel like you that if they weren't as bowled over as me, that there'll be and, enough in there. And to... there are only half hours, which yeah. which helps. And it, it, it just feels like something a bit different and good escapist TV. So next up, we will be talking about BBC One's Sunday slash Monday Night Thrill at The Nest, starring Martin Compton and Sophie Rundle and Miriam Mack. We've talked about it a couple of times. Uh, this was the show where Martin Compton and Sophie Rundle played Dan and Emily, a couple who really wanted a baby. They met Kaya, played by Miriam Mack, who was this 18-year-old care leaver who volunteered to be their surrogate. And as you would expect with a programme such as this, things transpired, the past was brought up, most notably the fact that Kaya wasn't actually called Kaya, her name was Heather, I believe. When she was 11, she was charged with murdering a pregnant woman. She was then put into care and her identity was concealed all to but social services. There was also this mystery surrounding one of Kaya's neighbours when she was living in flats, who was found, whose body was found floating in the river. So four uh, was where four you found was where you found out that the baby had not only no genetic link to Dan and Emily, but no genetic link to Kaya either because of a mix-up at the um clinic in ukraine and i suppose the other thing in that episode was they revealed that the lad who was murdered was killed by drug dealing associates who were tipped off by kaya one of kaya's social workers who she was close to who was trying to get extra money so he could move into a new flat which is that what you're gonna do to move (laughs) into this new place yes that was a bit of a leap, I thought. But I suppose they wanted to divert a bit and not have one of the main players be a full-on villain. Once we found out the baby had no genetic links and uh, Emily, played by Sophie Rundle, had sort of learnt of all the background stuff about Kaya, it kind of flipped where Martin Constance character, Dan, felt a proper father-daughter relationship with this young baby and was 
trying to coerce uh, Emily into adopting the baby, even though there was no genetic link to them. We should also mention that Shirley Henderson drops by more prolifically in this one as Kaya's overprotective and, and manipulative mother, who, by the end of the fourth episode, sort of convinces Kaya not to let Dan and Emily adopt and to take on the baby herself. She she's really still... munching on that there scenery. Oh, she is. I really struggle with her as an actress. It wasn't mm-hmm. this role. I just think... When she goes a... big. Well, she doesn't ever go big because she sounds so mousy. <laughs> But But I think in this, especially with the stick and Mm. the slightly sort of babyish voice, it was very, this is the villain of the piece. Yes. We found out that the murder, if you like, was Kaya almost protecting... Right now at Safeway, earn four times rewards points when you shop for participating items with Safeway for you. Shop for items like Frigo Crumbled Blue Cheese, Kellogg's Club Crackers, Coca-Cola, All Liquid Detergent, or Utz Chips, and earn four times rewards points with Safeway for you. Offer expires January 4th. Plus, get select holiday essentials like gift wraps, bags, holiday decor, lights, and more. Buy one, get one 50% off. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com or head in store for full offer details. Every day my employees get scam emails. I wanted to protect my business and clients, so I checked out CISA's Secure Our World. They've got four simple ways we can protect our businesses from online threats. Learn more at cisa.gov forward slash secure our world. Her mum getting in the middle of, or was it the other way around, getting in the middle of her mum stabbing this this woman who died. Yes, it and was her mom never. And it yeah. wasn't a woman, it was her aunt. It was yeah. Uh, uh, and her yeah. mum really never taking responsibility and basically using her here again to get money for a story to sell to the to the newspaper. So basically she was trying to convince her to have this baby herself. And mm. you're right, Shirley Henderson, I felt was a bit of a detract from it. that She was very much the pantomime villain here. What I liked about... The finale, and I preferred the finale to the penultimate one. The finale focused upon uh, Kaya, with the help of her mum, taking down and dismantling the high-powered world and and the lifestyle that Dan and Emily had built up with Dan's business, bringing the story to the press and exposing Dan's past, working with drug dealers to get his business off the ground at the very start, and then being looked at under the microscope and his businesses being vandalised and all that. It was really interesting character shift to see them cap in hand mm. going to his sister who he pays half the mortgage of their house. It tore, it's tore her family apart as well because her husband feels like uh, he's always well, played second. Her husband her was the one who made the tip off to the police about the drug deal, wasn't yeah. he? Uh, yeah. As always, uh, these things come to an end. You do sort of uh, look back and go, there's a lot of it we didn't need. We didn't need, you know, the guy being found dead in the river and the social worker being a bit dodgy. That all felt a bit tacked on, a bit confusing and a bit unnecessary. Uh, I didn't really enjoy the murder mystery Uh, element to it. I I suppose the the only thing they needed was they needed a a male of some description to be the reason why they needed that DNA test, which then they found out she wasn't a genetic match. What I really liked about this, that the trappings of the thriller genre such as this 
would instantly, and we talked about this when we were talking about episode one, would be either she's going to turn out to be a complete psychopath or mm-hmm. the couple are going to turn out to be keep her locked up in, you know, it's called the nest. Overprotective. Overprotective, yeah. And it would be one of those. And I think throughout, we and society were assuming the worst of Kaya because of the way she was presented. The suspicions were that she was the person who murdered the guy. And I think that's part of the reason as well. Putting that doubt in your mind at all times. And, And when the police went to her, you were thinking, oh, yeah, that's probably right. She did nothing wrong at the end of the day. It was everyone else yeah. around her. As is often she... the case, she was a young girl yeah. let down. Mm. But by, in um, other dramas everyone. like this, yeah. you would expect, and and that's what I liked about it, that she was never vilified, let down by her mother at a young age, made up to be this child psychopath, let down by the social the worker, let down by the... Oh, I suppose only the male social worker, that female social worker came into her own right, in the final you, episode. I tell, you what, I tell you what I did think. To be fair, I've only seen the other two TV dramas that Nicole Taylor's written, uh, mm. The C Word and Three Girls, and I was thinking all the way through, those were so raw and emotional, and this feels like a traditional thriller. But then you had a great scene... Where everybody was ex- was explaining how they felt and how Kaya would cope, and that was very reminiscent of a scene out of Three Girls, where Maxine Peake would have been sat there sticking up for the three girls at the title there. And I thought that was a very interesting. Well, that was a, as I say, that that is a child protection conference because they had the yeah. health, the police, the social work yeah. side of things. The ending as well, I quite liked, where it was. Dan and Emily got the baby for, they, now. They, for now, but Kaya decided I never wanted the baby in the first place, mm. and I I just wanted a life, and that I I think that was the most realistic ending of yeah. that you could have for the drama. And because I just I really, suppose I, if they went back to her being a mother, the mm. implication is that history could repeat itself. She had a terrible upbringing. Mm-hmm. She didn't want the child, so she's going to feel not the same love towards it so history could just repeat some of this and she always did say at the beginning when she was talking to that neighbour next door I want to be a businesswoman, I want to earn my own money yeah. so it felt true to the character that she would do this and she ended up with 50 grand so that was, yeah. <laughs> that was alright overall I, would, I, I, I think this is a step above it your is. normal thrillers it had that human aspect midway when we talked you were saying that you weren't a fan, certainly Martin Compton, but I felt he came into his own in, I think it was the fourth episode when it was when him was spending self, a lot of time with the baby. Self-deprecating, yes. And, and with the, but when he was yeah. with the baby on his own a lot of when the time. When you saw the more things. human side yeah. of him rather than business mm. side, yeah. It constantly surprised me. I felt yeah. the performance, Mirror and Matt was a revelation and I hope I'm, we see I'm going to, like I did with um, Molly Windsor after Three Girls, I'm going to well, Don't say what, that. What she do next? <laughs> With Catherine Kelly. Oh, of course. Yeah, don't do that, Mirren. <laughs> don't do anything with Catherine Kelly. The theme here was not letting your past dictate your future. Yes. In the case of all three characters, Martin Compton had the tough upbringing and had that issue about how he started his business. And there was the... How did you feel about... Sorry, we, we, we almost finished the Emily yeah. story with the overdosing friend. A bit tacked on. A bit tacked on, really. Th- to give just, her a little bit more sympathy. I don't think it needed that, but I liked mm. 
What I did like was the confrontation between her and her sister-in-law. I thought that was a really... Yeah. She just sort of stood there stunned at the words that were coming out of her mm. mouth. And I do think when they gave their talk, I presume to another TV documentary crew when they were being filmed and they were trying to get their story across, I do think it made them more amiable. Mm. So, yeah, it was good. The Nest, all five episodes on iPlayer, we recommend go watch it. What else are you doing? Uh, Killing Eve is also back with the strangest scheduling structure I've ever known. I, I still don't fully understand <laughs> it. You end of it. I went a bit Shakespearean <laughs> at the end there. I don't know. Let me see if I understand this. You're going to correct me. So it's going to go online on Monday mornings under the BBC Three strand. But then Sundays on BBC One. Oh, sorry. What did I say? You didn't give a time. Okay, well, I would have said 6am if I didn't know we were holding to a time. I think the following Sunday, that episode will air on... Sunday. Sunday. It's going to replace the next. Sunday, it'll air on BBC One, and then the following Monday, episode two. So, basically, the TV, physical TV, will be a week behind. It's even more convoluted because it airs a week... I think a week after the US. So that that's the closest we've ever got uh, to killing. So is it on in the US already then? No, it's starting tomorrow as we record a Saturday. Yeah. It starts tomorrow in the States. I so believe. it's on Sunday on the in in the States yeah. and then once that's finished in the States, six AM <laughs> we're able to get it on iPlayer. Yeah. And then, and then the Sunday, following Sunday, which they're saying, I'm, I'm on the, uh, the the BBC Media Centre site at the moment, and it's it's advertising it as available from 6am on Monday the 13th of April, and then episode one is repeated on Sunday 19th of April on BBC One. So there's that broadcast so date there, there, claiming is a repeat. Series two, I felt was problematic, basically because I I wasn't sure what the show was because. It wasn't this cat and mouse thing anymore, and at one point they had Eve and Villanelle working together, and I, I just couldn't get my head around how that worked, or why it worked, or what it was allowed, and what it meant for the show long term. And you may remember it ended in Rome, where Villanelle shoots Eve, and the series picks up without any spoilers, with Villanelle moving on and assuming that Eve is still dead. And that's where we are. This this series is problematic for me for some several reasons. They change the showrunner every year, which means it's somebody else's vision of where to take the story each time. That could be seen as a good thing, but on this, it's proven not to be, because I don't know what the end game is here. I I don't normally worry about that with a show because it's not my job to worry about where it's going to go eventually. But I feel like the first series set such a high bar that the second series was always going to be somewhat of a disappointment. And to use your phrase, are we just now in a in a state with Killing Eve where it's just diminishing returns? And don't get me wrong, Sandra Rowe and Jodie Comer, still brilliant, still two actresses I highly rate in roles I really enjoy seeing them in. But it's just not the same show. It's not as fun. It's not as relaxed. And I I don't love it anymore. I often feel like I'm the voice of reason here, that you're often too harsh on shows, and I'll, I'll sort of even it out, but I, I wholeheartedly agree with you here. <laughs> um, 
maybe our reasons for loving the first season are slightly different. I, I, I think what worked in the first season where Phoebe Waller-Bridge was the showrunner was that it had that awkward Britishness about it, mm-hmm. even though the lead yeah. was an American in the, in the British scenes. Yeah. You had David Haig and Fiona Shaw and Darren Boyd and all of those yeah. characters. There was that awkward sort of British humour which went under the spy stuff and the and the villanelle stuff series two took it to a to the nth degree and you're right that there, there was too many scenes of them together i think this the second half of season two where they're in rome where she's pretending to be was she meant to be an american heiress am i right mm, you're was, right yes and that all didn't really work for me no here it's so so heightened now so the Bits that we get are in Barcelona. We've got Villanelle getting married in the first yeah. scene. And the first scene, we see the the bride giving a speech. And then, oh, who's she marrying? Oh, it's Villanelle. Dum, 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 dum. As if we didn't Dramatic know. music. Yeah. We introduce as well here Harriet Walter playing... I couldn't get was, on with her. ...what was her trainer. She's this Olympic gymnast who's for some reason now working in Spain, quite coincidentally. The other element of this that I didn't like was the fact that they were initially tricking you to thinking that Sandro was now living in China mm. because she was in a Chinese supermarket speaking Chinese. And, she's... and there's none of them in anywhere else in the world. And then you, you went out and you were on a British high street somewhere and she's now working in a kitchen in a Chinese restaurant, lying low. Her ex-husband or estranged husband is in a mental facility because he hasn't got over the murder of the girl that he sort of had a thing for, possibly having an affair with. Thing is, I didn't remember any of that. I genuinely didn't remember any of it. So when it got to that point, I was like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. But it didn't stick with me. Kenny Carolyn's son is working for this underground magazine, a bit like the Millennium thing in, in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. The only bit that I quite liked in this first episode was Steve Pemberton as the new MI6 employee and his passive-aggressive chat with with Carolyn because that was reminiscent of the things yeah. that were happening in the first series that I liked so much. There was that juxtaposition between the glamorous world of Villanelle and this boring grey office job which that's what really spoke to me in the first series and gradually dissipated there's also stuff going on with the Kim Bodnia character as well which I I think for me I'm going to watch maybe another couple of episodes just to see where it goes because this was an establishing episode there was lots of disparate threads that I'm sure are going to be joined together because there's not a direction for the show yet i bemoaned the fact that they were always joined at the hip in series two and now i'm bemoaning the fact it's almost too disparate not only are even villanelle no, separated the characters and it it shows me how little i care for kim bodnier and for What's kenny this character and called? I can't, I can't constantine even yeah there's essentially five different stories going yeah. on in this first episode i get the impression that they're going to dig in a bit more to the origins of the 12 which i think is which something i've already they sort of forgotten about something they i think promised that's quite a convoluted of... story of 
an origin story about the twelve. I don't really get it, if I'm honest. But these are you're saying the different showrunners in each in each season, but they are based on novellas, aren't they? So yeah, I'm not gonna discount this thoroughly because it was an establishing episode, but there was a lot of misdirects and things that I didn't feel were necessary. It almost felt like the latter series of Sherlock where they kept trying to put one over on you and and rather than working alongside the audience. For me, it just, it leaves me thinking, do I carry on? Do I, you know, because I love series one so much, do I I stick with it? Jodie Comer and Sandra, as I said, still brilliant, but do I invest time... We already know there's a season four with it, yet another showrunner that they haven't announced yet. Do I, do I just carry on? I mean, I, I honestly don't know. And also, what I always say is, when you've been away from a show like we have, we've been away from this for a year. The key to whether a series is going to work again is how quickly you're able to put yourself back in that that atmosphere, that show's world. And I really struggled to get back into this watching this even if i'd seen it after if i'd gone from episode eight of series two into this i think i'd have struggled it was just too too much the other way i just wasn't invested harriet walter's accent she can't she can't do whatever accent that is it really wound me up and i thought her character was so thin and her whole backstory just wasn't believable in the slightest didn't bother me that much but I, I wasn't intrigued by it, no, I suppose, no. is the... Um... The thing is, though, I put out on Twitter, um, I forget, it wasn't nasty, it was just something about, I could, I didn't like the, the the opening of the first, I forget my words, but I didn't like the opening of the first season, of the third, first episode of the third season. So many, there's so many Killing Eve fan accounts that got in touch saying, why, well, how, how can you possibly say that? And I tried to explain it and they they appear to see it as a love story between those two characters and i don't buy into that particularly mm. so maybe that's my well, issue. yeah it's one of those are, things where they they what they call the shit fan, them yeah so they have they're coming at it from a completely different angle mm. than i am i'm looking at it as a show and as some something that's written and you know does this need to still exist the answer's probably no but they're looking at it as it's a relationship between these two characters and I don't see that. And there wasn't, there was an element of that in, in season one, that obsession that Eve had towards Villanelle uh, and which manifested in her stabbing her at the end of of season one. Yeah. So season one ended in, in Villanelle being stabbed. Season two ended in, in Eve being shot. So where are they going to go in season three? That is, a re- that is a reading of it, that yeah. there is this underlying obsession. I, I wouldn't particularly call it a lot. And I think Villanelle has that for Eve as well. It's just lost its sense of fun for me. Mm. That's what it always was. Even the episode that I didn't particularly like last year that you liked with Julian Barrett, where he locked oh, yeah. her in the house. I wasn't a massive fan of that, but it was fun. It's forced it, fun now, isn't it? It yeah. feels forced fun. Like, come on, you liked this before. Why don't yeah. you like it now? I always remember Jimmy McGovern saying the reason why he doesn't think writers' rooms work is when you write something yourself, it's your opinion on that world. And when writers' rooms get involved, it's nobody's opinion on nobody's world because everybody's just chipping in 
their bit. And I think that's what Killing Eve has become because it just gets handed off to the next person. Mm. It's a bit like when a soap showrunner of a soap comes in and they've got to fix all the things they didn't like about where the soap is before they can and implement get rid of a dozen characters that they and... don't like and make it plausible before they can implement their vision. And I think having, like last season, having Villanelle shoot Eve, where do you go from there? It's a really tricky place to pick up from. It's not as a model that should work. These new showrunners. I appreciate Phoebe Waller-Bridge is massively busy. She's still listed as an exec producer, but how involved she is, I couldn't mm. couldn't tell you. But it, I don't think it works just giving a show over and saying like a pass-the-parcel thing. Mm. Now you do something with it. Off you go. I mean, it has in the past. I mean, they, they have done it before. I can't think... Not so consistently like this no. year on year. No. So but they've already announced season four and they've already said it will have a new showrunner and they have yet to announce who that will be. So it is, it is a trend that they they obviously think brings new life to, to the world, but I think it just moves it further away from, from the, what the show was and it's lost all its spark. Yeah. I, I don't think I had as, as much of an issue with, with series two as you did until maybe the, the last couple of episodes. But this, there just felt like too much wink. You, you mentioned it with Quiz. This winking really had that winking at the audience for me. Mm. Whereas I didn't find that with Quiz. I found that with Killing Eve, definitely. More people were like me, sort of lukewarm on the, on the uh, second series. I like, I like every time you say lukewarm. I know you do. I do it for you only. <laughs> it's a shame because that first series, just so perfect. Would it have worked as just a one and done? Yes, but that's not the way... TV operates nowadays, unfortunately. Yeah. At the moment, there's these disparate stories. Eve really doesn't have a lot to do in this first episode either. And she's the heart of the show, really. She's the, the audience proxy. So maybe it will even itself out when those characters have more interactions. But where we are at the moment, I I am very cold on it. I it, It's not, not worth... Even lukewarm, just not cold. even lukewarm. Yeah, I was trying to <laughs> stay away from lukewarm because that's your gimmick. You're just Matt Cold. Matt Cold. Okay, Matt that... Tepid. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, I have well, no are we not idea. Doing, are we looking at some ER or no? Are we just going to have that chat Well, we're just saying we're off still mic. watching it. It's still good. If people enjoyed our chat last week about season I've had three no of feedback, VR, good or otherwise. I had not watched season four thoroughly, and Luke was coming to the end of season three, so I thought, well, I'll start season four, and then messaged him, and he said, yeah, I'm already up to episode five. We are, I'm almost at the end of season four, you're sort of two thirds of the way yeah. through. It is a really intense series, isn't it? And but, but it is, but it's also incredible. In this sort of time where mm. we're going through a lot of things, it's incredibly easy to watch. Mm. I never feel overwhelmed by it. I think because it's a network show and it's, it's 45, 44 minutes, you know, it, it mm. goes by at such a pace. They managed, to, they managed to tell a lot of story in that time. Uh, sometimes and... the stories continue on, sometimes mm. they don't. And I like that aspect of it. It's an easy watch, and that's what I need at the moment. It's it's a really good show, and it manages to not do the thing of just accident of the week, which I always wrote it off as big 
drama happens in the ER every week. They have to fix people. It's not. It's telling long-form stories. Characters come and go. Um, patients come and go. Sometimes you think you've seen them and they pop up again. Mm. Um, season 3 was really strong. I don't think Season 4 so far has been as strong as 3. But Season 4, is, it's not... It still incredibly moves at such a pace and I'm really enjoying it. And I'm not looking forward to the exodus of all my favourite people quite soon. Because mm. at this and point I'm doing the season a week. So mm. One of my favourite characters who has been introduced this season gradually is uh, Robert Romano as well, who becomes more of a presence from season six onwards when he becomes a regular. Mm. He's one of my favourites. Yeah, he's sort of just in the background at the minute, being a bit bullshy, isn't he? Yeah, but, yeah I know. That That's sort of his character, really, is yeah. a bit bullshy. <laughs> he's the me of the ER. <laughs> yeah. And that's why you like me so much. I did a thing online, a lot of people have been doing, I think it's like your top five series of all time, and I had loads of responses. Mm, I saw and that. And ER, ER came up a lot. Mm. A lot of TV writers, I think Jack Thorne picked ER. I think um, Joe Barton of Gary had you picked ER. I think even Sarah Phelps might have. So it came up a lot, and, we, and actually, it's not a show that, like The Sopranos, Breaking Bad, you hear people talk about a lot. But it was in my list of my top ten dramas. We know, we know. Your <laughs> list was cool. We know. It, it's an odd gap to have, sort of four and five as a, as a gap in my. <laughs> In your knowledge of the program. But there are some pivotal... And I I know I've seen that road trip episode, Fathers and Sons. I know I've seen that before. And elements elsewhere. But there's an episode that Luke hasn't watched yet, Exodus, which they reference in the in the very final episode as well which when you get to it i think we need to talk about so when we're both watching season five next week and with run are you going to watch it on the previews are you going to I, again i don't know luke i can't okay. predict the future none of us can could, well if... we can at the moment we're just in a lot if i if i could then i'd tell you when when lockdown was finishing when things would return to normal <sighs> what the what the new normal will be who was in that the new normal God, I can't remember. What what, what was that programme? Was Bradley Whitford in it, or am I... He's in a lot of stuff. The new... I'm just going to look at... Was it... Was it a Ryan Murphy thing? Let's finish on this. (laughs) And it was... It was a Ryan Murphy sitcom. And it starred Justin Bartha, Nini Leakes. So, no, not Bradley Whitford. I was thinking of something else. Um, Wealthy gay couple who are living in LA. They have to... They choose a surrogate mother... He moves into their home with her nine-year-old daughter. And I think it was narrated by the nine-year-old daughter. Anyway, anyway. what's coming up next week? <laughs> coming up next week, I, I, to be honest with you, I have no idea. ITV are re-showing a lot of their dramas. They're doing what I told other channels to do, so they're repeating a Chris Lang drama that we rated from a long time ago, 2012. Hands up if you remember A Mother's Son. That's going to be on over... I've got my hands up. <laughs> Sorry, I just realised we don't have webcams. I shouldn't. Um, <laughs> Did I review it for you? Was it one of the first things I reviewed for you? Or maybe, maybe not. I think maybe the other site that you used the to other site. The first thing I reviewed for you was that... Was it 13 Steps Down or something? 13 Steps Down? That's when ITV was doing loads of dramas in... 13 Steps Down? Yeah, 13 Steps Down. It was a crime drama... 2012, two-parter, 13th of August 2012. 
Stars Luke Treadaway and Geraldine James and Gemma Jones. Is it Jones. called 13 Steps Down? Yes. It was a two-part crime drama. And it was called 13 Steps Down. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Still, yeah. Uh, if you want to, uh, you can get in touch with us. We're on Twitter <laughs> at Custard TV Pod, at Luke Custard TV, and at Matt TV Bites. The email is open gmail.com uh, at gmail.com Oh, now there's a hoover on, so we better go. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Rate and review us wherever you find us. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes and Facebook. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.